You thought this election was going to be between Trump and Biden. Oh, you fool. You didn't realize that, that there's a third option on that ballot, that this election, democracy, is going to be on the ballot. This, in the words of every single Democratic official, up to and including Joe Biden. Character is on the ballot. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, democracy, they're all on the ballot. Who we are as a nation, what we stand for, and most importantly, who we want to be, that's all on the ballot. And the choice could not be more clear. Democracy is on the ballot, and you only have one choice. That doesn't sound like democracy to me. I don't think democracy is on the ballot. I think democracy is on the guillotine. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Thursday comes from Justin, who says, Stacey Abrams has had a long and storied political career. Emphasis on the storied part. Which is uh, true, because as you know, Stacey Abrams is the governor of Georgia, and, and then she became the running mate for Joe Biden. And I think actually she's just already been elected president. So good for her. Pretty soon she's going to be the uh, head of the UN. Uh, then maybe she'll go over. She can become the prime minister of uh, Britain. Then who knows? I mean, the world is her oyster in make-believe land. Actually, that has a lot of bearing on what we're talking about today because we keep talking about democracy, democracy being on the ballot, our self-government, we the people, and increasingly, it's all pretend. <laughs> increasingly, we're just sort of play-acting self-government, but actually, all the government happens somewhere else far away from democratic control, and even our elections, we're told, only have one legitimate answer to them which last time I checked is not how democracy works. We'll get to that in one second. First though, oh my gosh, do I get to thank my friends over at Buttercloth. So I think the first time I did a read for Buttercloth, I hadn't gotten the shirt yet. So I said, okay, well, you know, here's what they say about, okay, fine. But I don't know, you, you know in marketing pitches, sometimes people are a little hyperbolic, aren't they? So I get my Buttercloth shirt. I try this thing on. This is the single softest shirt I have ever tried on. I said, oh, this must be some kind of crazy synthetic fabric. No, it's cotton, just cotton. But I don't know how they did it. It is the single softest shirt I've ever worn. I, I kid you not, I'm probably gonna get an HR violation because I try on my Buttercloth shirt. I run around the office telling people to feel me. Feel my shirt, feel, grab my arm, grab my chest. I don't, I don't, I, I hope HR is not watching the show. This thing is unbelievable. And then they have one kind of shirt which has these mint fibers in it where the minute you put it on, it cools your skin down. Very important now as we're in a heat wave in LA and I guess in DC and everywhere else I travel. Uh, you gotta head on over right now. Buttercloth is offering our listeners 20% off your first purchase. Go to buttercloth.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You will receive 20% off your first full price order. That is buttercloth.com slash Knowles. You will thank me, I assure you. I don't think that this election is about democracy so much. I mean, maybe it is. In a sense, democracy is on the ballot because you've got one candidate, President Trump, who is running and saying, look, the, the government bureaucracy, the establishment has taken way too much power. We're going to put it back in your hands. Then you've got another party that says, absolutely not. Any election that we lose is illegitimate. We're going to take away choice from you. I think that Black Lives Matter is actually much more honest than Joe Biden. 
Joe Biden says democracy is on the ballot. Black Lives Matter says that if you don't vote for us, we're going to kill you. Here is a Black Lives Matter activist explaining her demands. This is our city, our city, and we're taking this back, point blank, period. End of discussion. We have demands and they need to be met. And I feel like I've been saying this too much. We're not asking you anything. We're telling you what's about to happen with your permission or not. I don't want to come out here again. I don't want to have to do this again. I don't want to take a day. I unfortunately was not at the action yesterday. I was actually taking a day between this organizing because it's taxing work, because we are kids trying to grow up. And I took a day to myself to wake up to find out that my friends are being abused by the police. You can listen to us or you can get ran over. And that's all I have to say. Listen to us or get ran over. Run, it's run over, but that's sort of a side point. <laughs> I think actually what she's saying, though ungrammatical, is completely honest. And it's actually the same thing that Democrats are saying. I, I think right now what the, what the Democratic Party, especially the Biden part of the party, wants to say is those BLM people, they're radical. They're not us. We're the more moderate. We're the adults in the room. Actually, they're saying the same thing. They're saying, give us exactly what we want or we're just going to take it from you. Right? We're going to pretend that this is democratic choice. We're going to pretend that you can go and actually voice your opinion on politics. But not really, because if you vote for Trump, if accidentally Trump gets elected, we're just going to spend four years trying to oust him. We're going to use the administrative government to undermine him. Then we're going to try to impeach him. We're going to impeach him over Russia, or we're going to impeach him over taxes, or we're going to impeach him over Ukraine, which is a war with Russia. We're just, give us what we want or get run over. This is, this is what children say. Actually, that woman in the clip says, we're kids. She doesn't look like a kid to me. She looks, looks fairly grown. She's behaving like a kid, but she looks grown up. And the Democrats are doing the same thing. Joe Biden certainly doesn't look like a kid, but he's behaving like one. Hillary Clinton doesn't look like a kid, but she's behaving like one. The issue here is whether or not we can have self-government. To have self-government, you have to be willing to lose sometimes. You have to be willing to give some power to the people. This is why, if you go back to the Civil War, right, the issue with, the, there are many issues in the Civil War, but the reason why secession actually happened, why the, why the war kicked off, is because you, you had one side saying we cannot have self-government. If you can have secession, then you can't have self-government, because it means that as long as you win, as long as you get everything you want, then you'll stay part of the union, but if not, you'll take your ball and go home. And you, you, there's, there's no way a free government can exist that way. People are trying to make the case that Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are very different, right? That, that's it. This is the case we've heard. You've got the Biden side of the party and the Sanders side of the party. Well, I don't think they're so different. Barack Obama made this point, and I think he's right. If you look at Joe Biden's goals and Bernie Sanders' goals, they're not that different from a 40,000-foot level, said Barack Obama to the New Yorker. They both want to make sure, I'll do it in my Obama voice, they both want to make sure everybody has health care. They want to make sure everybody can get a job that pays a living wage. They want to make sure every child gets a good education. Okay, I, I think he's putting a little bit of a gloss on what they both want. But the fact that he's saying from a 40,000-foot level it's the same thing is absolutely correct. From a 40,000-foot level, what the Democratic Party wants and BLM wants is the same thing. Why? Because they both share the same vision of politics and history. They both, and it's the same vision Obama shares, which is the arc of history bends toward justice. You can be on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. Look, we're all going to move toward a socialist, 
utopia eventually where we diminish the role of national governments and sovereignty and move toward a larger international government. That's eventually, we know that's going to happen. That is the future. The only question is, do you do it quickly like Bernie Sanders wants? Do you do it quickly like BLM wants? Or do you do it a little more slowly like Joe Biden wants? Or do you do it a little bit more slowly than that like most Republicans want? <laughs> That's the, it seems like everybody agrees. Okay, you say democracy is on the ballot. I say it's Donald Trump against the world. <laughs> I say that actually the entire left and a segment of the right don't really believe in democratic choice whatsoever. And one of the few weirdos who does is Donald Trump, who, who doesn't just go along to get along with the administrative government, with this, this view of history that is always progressing in one direction. All right, what about actual politics? What about actual democratic choice? What about actual political change? Trump tries that every so often, right? So we're, we're in this COVID lockdown. We're in the dictatorship of the lab coats here, where, where all of our political rights are now being dictated to us by people that we didn't elect, like the exalted Dr. Fauci, peace be upon him. So yesterday, President Trump tweets out, he says, I've got a big announcement coming at 5.30. The announcement is that there's a breakthrough in COVID treatment. That's sort of a separate issue. Maybe we'll get into that later in the week. I actually think that's the secondary. That's what the part everyone's talking about. But I think it's the, of secondary importance to how this breakthrough was arrived at. Here's President Trump thanking his FDA. The FDA has issued an emergency use authorization. And uh, that's such a, a powerful term, emergency use authorization for a treatment known as convalescent plasma. This is a uh, powerful therapy that transfuses very, very strong antibodies from the blood of recovered patients to help treat patients battling a current infection. It's had an incredible rate of success. Today's action will dramatically expand access to this treatment. And I want to thank Dr. Hahn and Secretary Azar, I want to thank the FDA, all of the people that have been working very hard on this. It showed tremendous potential. So this is great news on COVID, right? But what about on our government? You have the duly elected president of the United States announcing with glee an announcement that one of his administrative agencies has made. He's, he's so excited that an administrative agency has made this breakthrough. But why doesn't he have more control over that administrative agency? You know, this, this announcement comes just a day or so after President Trump announces uh, on Twitter that the deep state at the FDA is not allowing him to pursue progress on this issue because they want to basically keep the country locked down until November. That was the claim that was made. Regardless of the merits of that, of, of the, the actual scientific discoveries that are being undertaken, the question is one of political power. Why is there such a gap between the FDA and Trump, who's theoretically the boss of the FDA? The White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, explains exactly what's going on. It ties right in with what the Democrats are telling you. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, I've got to thank our friends over at Eero. These days, your house is not just your home, is it? It's, in some ways, it's not your home anymore because it's your office. It's the place you never leave. It's the place where you do every single thing that you do. It's a school. It's a movie theater. It's everything. You can't leave. So you know what? I got to tell you, you got to make sure your Wi-Fi works, okay? That is now a prerequisite in the year 2020. So Eero is an Amazon company 
covers your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi inside and out. Have you ever had this in your home? Maybe it's, maybe it's just the bad houses that I've lived in. You'll just have dead spots for your Wi-Fi, and I don't know why, I don't have the scientific knowledge as to why that is, but it happens. Eero totally fixes it. Okay, Eero, it's, it's amazing. It, they set it up, you, you do not drop your Wi-Fi anywhere. And the, my favorite part about Eero is you know I'm not exactly technologically savvy. Eero is so simple, even I can set it up, and it takes no time. It's a, the ease of use is really unbelievable. Check it out right now. We're asking a lot of our Wi-Fi. Eero can help yours do more. Go to Eero.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, enter code Knowles. Easy to remember, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Uh, you will get free next day shipping with your order. E-E-R-O.com slash Knowles, code Knowles at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. Go to Eero, E-E-R-O.com slash Knowles, code Knowles. Go check it out. Mark Meadows explains why it's been so hard to, to wrangle the administrative agencies. He explains on George Stephanopoulos' show that there is a deep state in the government. What evidence does the president have that the FDA is manipulating this process, this approval process, for political reasons? Well, I, I, your, your words are manipulating it, George. I don't think he said they, they were manipulating, but I can't well, tell you. Well, he said obviously they are Hold on, to, I can, I can said, help well, you. I, I've been personally involved in this, so I'll be glad to tell you. Here's what we, we continue to look at. And it's not just the FDA, it's NIH and others. As we look at the protocols, and, and uh, Dr. Hahn was very right to say we're not going to cut any corners because we're not cutting any corners. But what we have is we have a China virus that came here. We've got to deliver answers. And the president each and every day is saying, why don't we have an answer today? Why don't we have an answer tomorrow? And so what happens is, is that we continue to look at some of the trials and what's happening. And, uh, and we, we want to wear belt and suspenders the way that some of these bureaucrats want to look at it. They want to do things the way they've always done it. This president is about cutting red tape. That's what the tweet was all about. That's what the tweet was all about. What was the tweet? What did it say? Trump tweets out, Quote, the deep state or whoever over at the FDA is making it very difficult for drug companies to get people in order to test the vaccines and therapeutics. Obviously, they're hoping to delay the answer until after November 3rd. My focus on speed and saving lives, or we must focus on speed and saving lives. And then he tags the FDA guy. This is obviously true. There are bureaucrats right now who are trying to delay things until November 3rd. You have whole school districts that say they're going to open on November 6th, right? Basically, they're going to keep this whole shit down until the election, make everybody miserable. Other places around the world opening up, it's, it's just not an issue anymore in, a, in this politicized sense. But other countries around the world don't have a very important presidential election coming up. So that's what's going on. There's a huge political incentive to keep the country locked down. Trump is trying to wrangle them. But Stephanopoulos then asks what I think is a perfectly natural follow-up question if you're not that familiar with the government. Stephanopoulos is familiar with the government, so I think from him it's a little disingenuous. But the question is, if Trump's not happy with the FDA, why, why doesn't he just fire them? Why doesn't he fire the head of the FDA? Why doesn't he fire other people? First of all, uh, well, there are a few reasons. One, even if you fire the head of the FDA, you've still got the whole entity. You've still got the whole administration here. And, and the simple fact is the president can barely fire federal employees. It's extraordinarily difficult to fire federal employees, even though they work for Trump. That's the way our government works now. It is almost impossible 
Isn't that a little weird? No, this is a process that's been building for a hundred years now. It was envisioned by Woodrow Wilson. It was sort of laid out. The architecture was built. FDR implemented it. It was expanded under LBJ. And now we have a shadow government. But except it's not really shadow in that we know it exists. It's all these alphabet agencies. But they, they govern in the shadows. And even the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, can't get total control over it. So he's got to pressure them on Twitter. You know, people always say, Trump's got to get off Twitter. Why is he always tweeting? Why are, if you even look outside of Trump, why are all these congressmen and senators and governors, why do they, why do they go on television all the time instead of doing their job? Well, it's because actually communicating is pretty much the only tool left to them because so much of government has been outsourced to the administrative state. You want to hear how crazy it is? The duly elected president of the United States can barely change his garden without people losing their minds that he's usurping power. The, gar- the Rose Garden, Melania Trump redesigned the Rose Garden, sort of. What did she do? She took 10 crab apple trees that were part of Jackie Kennedy's design back in the 60s, and she moved them from the garden to another part of the White House grounds. And she did this because the trees had grown so much that they were casting too much shadow on other parts and it was messing up part of the garden. This is not exactly, uh, you know, World War III here, right? This is not exactly nuclear negotiations with North Korea. And yet, Twitter went crazy. The mainstream media went crazy. The the journalists went crazy because she moved some crab apple trees. Think about how desiccated our view of politics is. You know, one issue we get into as conservatives is we always say we want more limited government. We want government to do less. But that's a little bit imprecise because we've we've got our political process and then we've got this kind of government that actually isn't that open to the political process. And I think we should be more specific. We want that government that's not at all accountable. We want them to do less and stop regulating every single little aspect of our lives. But we do want an authentic politics. We do want to be able to voice our opinion and have that opinion actually matter in politics. I think a lot of the Donald Trump election in 2016 is people saying our voice is not being heard in politics. Even when we elect the people who are running ostensibly on our program, they get into office, they don't do anything. And they don't do anything not just because they're lazy, though never underestimate the laziness of politicians. They don't do anything because they actually can't do anything. There's nothing for them to do. And so people get a little frustrated, want to work outside of the the main framework. Frankly, I think this is true in some ways of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization that is utterly antithetical to America, which, which we'll get into in just one second. But they are expressing that same kind of frustration. And, and all I know is there are historical parallels here to very difficult times in American history where you see the country kind of unraveling. The only way that you're going to be able to let some of the steam out of that is to give people more of a say in their government because now on both sides of the aisle, people feel that they have no say. And they're turning against the system itself. You you want to hear that democracy is on the ballot? Democracy is on the guillotine, quite quite literally on the guillotine in Portland. The Portland riots still going on, still causing absolute mayhem. Portland is at this point essentially a failed state. So the the protesters now, again, I got to give them credit, like BLM, like some more radical parts of the Democratic coalition, they're being honest about their views. 
They're now wheeling a guillotine <laughs> into the middle of their demonstration. We've been calling them these Jacobin revolutionaries for a while now. So they've got the mechanism of radical revolution. They've got a guillotine. What do they put in the guillotine? An American flag, which they set on fire and then they guillotine, which seems like overkill to me. But you can watch it happening now. You can see someone walking over, sets the fire, the crowd cheers. Black Lives Matter, they chant. There it is. You can, you can hear it. it. You can't deny it once you, once you see it, once you hear it. Black Lives Matter is the chant of burning the American flag. And of course it is, because the premise of Black Lives Matter is on the, on the most shallow level that America is an evil country that's hopelessly racist that can never be redeemed and we need to overthrow the government and overthrow the traditional society. And then when you look a little bit more deeply into it, you see the founders actually say, we are trained Marxists. We want to obliterate the nuclear family. We want to obliterate all of the American institutions. And then the, the flag is a symbol of the whole country. This is why it was so egregious when Colin Kaepernick decided to protest the flag. Because he's not just protesting some aspect of America. He's protesting the whole damn thing, which they're now doing. Setting it ablaze, putting it on the chopping block in, in Portland, and I think they're expressing the view throughout the entire country. Does the press cover that? No. Probably the only place that you're hearing about what's actually going on in Portland is perhaps on this show, maybe on Andy Noe's Twitter feed, in very limited segments here. But that's the debate. And the reason the Colin Kaepernick protest, it bothered me because I love my country, but it, it also bothered me because it was so incoherent. Colin Kaepernick said, I have a First Amendment right in America granted to me in this Constitution. And so I'm going to use that right to burn the symbol of the country that gives me that First Amendment right. That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Same thing with, with putting the flag in the guillotine, right? You can't say, my, I'm using my free expression to burn the flag, to torch the flag. Well, then you don't get the free expression, right? That is an incoherent protest. And the press don't cover it at all. We'll get, to, we'll get to Trump calling out the press in just one second. First, though, got to thank our friends over at NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. So I've worked on a number of, of startup companies, smaller companies. Some have grown into bigger companies. The number one thing I notice that stops companies from growing is they don't know their numbers. They can't keep track. They've got a whole different hodgepodge of systems, and the, the systems are not speaking to one another. And I promise you, if you lose sight of some of your numbers, that can have huge consequences. It can cost you your business down the line. With NetSuite, you can keep track of finance. You can keep track of HR. You can keep track of e-commerce. Everything you need all in one place so you save time, money, and headaches. Doesn't matter if you're doing tens of millions in sales, hundreds of millions in sales. NetSuite gives you visibility and control. Maybe you're doing a million dollars. Doesn't matter. You can manage every penny with precision. 20,000 customers trust NetSuite to go faster with confidence. So right now, they've got a free guide for you. Obviously, this is a good time to pay a lot of attention to your business. Uh, they've got this free guide, seven actions businesses need to take now. You can also schedule your product tour at netsuite.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Get your free guide, schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash Knowles. What is that address? Very simple, netsuite.com slash Knowles. The press aren't covering any of this. 
Remember the press, the great defenders of democracy? No, they're not. They agree with, with Joe Biden. They agree with Antifa. They agree with BLM, which is that we've, our democracy is at stake and you only have one choice. So President Trump jokes with them. He comes out at the press briefing and he, he wishes them well on the convention that they just had. Good to see you all. Hope you had a great weekend at your convention. That is their convention. The DNC is the press's convention. You heard Ryan Lizza, this left-wing journalist who said, Barack Obama's convention speech is the greatest convention speech ever since his last one, which was so great. It wasn't great. It was a bad speech. And his first convention speech wasn't that great either. Do you remember the first one that, that gave Barack Obama a national political career? This, this is the most brilliant Periclean line in the whole speech. He goes, there's not a red America. There's not a blue America. There's a United States of America. There's not a, a white America. There's not a black America. United States of America. Wow. S stirring rhetoric. I'd, ne I'd never considered that. You're saying we're one country? Wow. Oh my gosh. It's like I'm listening to Abraham Lincoln or something. No, it's not. It's very, very weak sauce. But they fell in love with Obama. They love the guy. And the same thing happened at the, this Democratic National Convention. Trump's longest lasting legacy. I think I mentioned this on the show last week. It's not going to be the judges. It's not going to be the executive orders. It's not going to be tax reform or anything like that. It's going to be exposing the press as part of the Democratic Party. And even beyond, the Democratic Party even is just one constituency of it. What we're really talking about is a liberal establishment that includes the Democratic Party. It includes these terrorists on the street, BLM and Antifa, that's the, that's the military wing of the liberal establishment. You've got the administrative government of the liberal establishment. They're the ones actually passing all of the, all of the laws, totally unaccountable. And then you've got the media, which is the propaganda wing of the liberal establishment. But it's all working in tandem. The communications director of the DNC is not the propaganda wing of the liberal establishment. It's the whole, it's the whole mainstream media. That's, what, that's the propaganda wing. And so when you look at that, in a way you see democracy is on the ballot because you've got this one guy, Donald Trump, a few other candidates, but obviously Trump is, is the most prominent and successful in my lifetime, who stand up against this thing and against even the squishy Republicans who really just want to go along with that establishment, albeit a little bit slower. They won't cover anything. You know, there's a little story, probably the only place you would have heard about it is on Donald Trump's Twitter feed. During the DNC, during the convention, during two caucus meetings, they said the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, good for them. I'm shocked they even did that. But these leaders of the caucus meetings left out the phrase, under God. Pledge of Allegiance, very simple. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We used to learn that as school children. Probably they don't learn that now. The Democrats, because they're still catering to an older generation, they say it, but they take out under God. Now, I've been told reliably by USA Today, fact check, DNC did not omit under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. Snopes says this is mostly false. All the other mainstream media, misleading, not true, false. Take a listen to the opening of the Muslim caucus of the Democratic National Convention. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Take a listen to the opening of the LGBT caucus of the Democratic National Convention. Hello, everybody. 
If you don't have a flag, I have flags here right in front of me. Please place your hand over your heart. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We have them on video. We have the audio. We have the receipts. And this lying, dishonest mainstream media are going to look us right in the face and say, no, you didn't hear that. No, you didn't hear that. That didn't happen. Who are you going to believe? Us or your lying ears? That is the I think even conservatives don't appreciate how thoroughly dishonest the press is. It's not just that George Stephanopoulos works for Bill Clinton for many years and then he becomes a fake journalist and oh, he's obviously got a bias. It's that this entire apparatus exists to not, not only to lie to you, not only, it, it exists to help the liberal establishment. And so if it, if it helps the liberal establishment to tell the truth, they'll do it. But if it helps the liberal establishment to obscure the truth, they'll do it. And if it helps the liberal establishment to outright lie, even when we've got the audio, they will do that. It's pure cynicism. And self-government cannot operate that way. Self-government requires an understanding of objective truth. Self-government requires that we be able to communicate with one another. Self-government requires a legitimate choice. And we are being denied that choice by that liberal establishment. And what do they do? You know, the left always projects. So they always say, Trump's a fascist. Trump's an authoritarian. Trump is the most democratic candidate that we have had in this government, maybe in 100 years, certainly in 30 years. But I don't know, maybe in 100 years. You're getting a legitimate choice here. And they're, they're, they're denying that to you. They're telling you that it is exactly the opposite. We'll get to another, this is, this is the craziest story because you know the left always talks about science. We'll get to a real science denying story. We'll get to some double standards. First though, I've got to tell you to head on over to my YouTube channel. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that. We, we have exclusive content up there that you're not going to get elsewhere. I just did an interview with my friend Paul Kenger who has a book out called The Devil and Karl Marx. And I actually wrote the foreword to that book. I don't get a royalty though, so I'm only telling you to go buy it because it is an excellent book. So many people focus on the economic and political side of Marx. This book focuses on Marx's spiritual life and it is dark and scary and very, very bad. But you should know it because nobody's going to tell you about it. You're not going to learn about this in school. I head on over there. We did an interview about that. It got, it got pretty graphic. I got to tell you, I didn't know Paul would, would get so, well, anyway, you'll have to go check out the interview yourself. Uh, then head on over. We're going to have a backstage coming up at the end of the week to talk about the RNC. And also you should go to All Access. This is our elite tier of membership. This is where you get to participate in All Access Hangouts with the other members of the website in All Access and with the hosts and with the writers. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles right now. You can get 20% off and not one, but two, two leftist tiers tumblers. How's that? Uh, using access code access. Access code access. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use the code access, you'll get 20% off and two tumblers. And then stay right there. We'll be back with a lot more.
To show you, you know, pulling back a little bit from the outright lies that the press tells you, where you can actually listen to the audio and then they deny it exists, I'll give you a, a more typical uh, example of, of how they do these things. This is from uh, ABC News. State Department fighting to deny U.S. citizenship to gay couple's child. Well, that's terrible, isn't it? You got this American couple who I guess they're being discriminated against because they're gay and they've got their child and the child is being denied citizenship. That's just so, wait, hold on a second here. Wait, hold on. Wait, what was that headline? State Department fighting to deny U.S. citizenship to gay couple's child. Gay couple's child. I, I'm no biologist, okay? I'm no, I'm an expert scientist, but I'm no, you know, I'm not specifically a biologist. But it seems to me, if I go back to my elementary learning of how children are made, where babies come from, gay couples can't have children by themselves, right? That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work that way. So wait a second, maybe there's more to this headline. Maybe there's more to this story than meets the eye. Well, of course there is. Two gentlemen by the name of Roe Cavidi and Adiel Cavidi, living in Chevy Chase, Maryland, are legally married under the new definition of marriage. They're both U.S. citizens. Their daughter, Kasem, was born in Canada via a surrogate. So the State Department has argued in federal court that she's born out of wedlock and not entitled to birthright citizenship. There were so many things wrong with this story. First of all, we talked about this issue last week when we were discussing Kamala Harris's eligibility for vice president. The question of birthright citizenship as granted by the 14th Amendment is very much an open legal question. The Supreme Court has never held that there is blanket birthright citizenship for anybody who happens to be born on U.S. soil. So that's, that's one issue that's wrong with it. Then the, the child was born out of wedlock. Well, of course the child was born out of wedlock, first of all given the definition of marriage. But even under the new definition of marriage that has come about, not through democratic choice, whenever this was put on the ballot, even in very democratic states, people rejected radically redefining marriage because it's the bedrock institution of society. But even using the new definition of, of marriage, the two, these two men obviously can't have a child together. So the, the actual parents of this child are one of these men and this woman. And the child is being denied her natural mother intentionally. How insane a legal system do we have that a child can intentionally be denied her natural mother? Awful stuff. You know, all, the focus is only put in this political issue on how this gay couple really wants to have a child, but because of nature, they can't have a child together. No, no thought is put on this little girl who will never be able to know her mother, her natural mother, who will be created in a legal regime that only prioritizes the desires of the parents to overcome the limitations of nature and will never be directed toward the, the natural needs of the child. That's the second part. The third part is, this happened in Canada. There's no, and yet, so there are so many layers here of why this is, this shouldn't even be a headline. Child is born out of wedlock in Canada and is not a U.S. citizen. Yeah, duh. Shouldn't even be a headline. But it, it serves so many aspects of the liberal establishment's goals, namely to radically redefine every institution that threatens 
any of the political power of the growing liberal state. Most notably, most importantly, the family, which the left and the, the progressive establishment has been after explicitly. You can read it in their writings for well over 100 years. It goes back further to that fellow I was just mentioning, Mr. Karl Marx. Then you have another priority here, which is open borders, right? The liberal establishment wants open borders because it diminishes the political sovereignty of the people, the ability of the people to determine their own politics and government. And it encourages trade. It it encourages uh, keeping wages down. It encourages everything that this group of people wants. And that's the way the story is presented. That if you just, if you, just any normal person just looks at that headline, State Department denying U.S. citizenship to gay couple's child, you'd say, oh, that's wrong, right? That sounds wrong. <laughs> then you read the story, you realize how wrong it is. Same, you know, you can even see this in the stories they don't run. So the NBA, the NBA, which I don't watch, has these two players, Montrezl Harrell and Luka Doncic. I'm, I'm certain I didn't pronounce this correctly, but sort of secondary to my point. So they were playing a basketball game, and uh, Mr. Harrell uh, made a good shot or something. And uh, so as he was walking away after this great play, you can see him mouth on camera into close-up the phrase, well, bleep me if I, I think I'm allowed to say, bitch-ass white boy. That was the phrase that he said. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the air, but if I'm not, you know, just bleep me. That's what he says. It's like, uh, it's like WAP. But another, but a variation of that phrase. Now, people in the heat of sports, these are obviously top athletes. These are intense competitors. You're going to say things. You're going to say rude things, mean things, get in each other's heads. So I don't really blame this guy. However, imagine if it were reversed. Imagine if it weren't a black athlete saying that to a white athlete, but a white athlete making a similar comment to a black athlete. You would have wall-to-wall coverage, 24-7 news. Not only would the team be shut down, the league would be shut down. Maybe the country would be shut down with protests. But the reason that media and the liberal establishment would encourage that is because it would serve their ends of sowing discord, diminishing American political unity, diminishing the ability of, of the American citizens to speak to one another, to communicate, to, to determine in our own deliberative bodies how to govern ourselves. And by pushing or by ignoring this story, they move right along. They continue to stoke the flames of racial division when it comes to BLM. Never, never any story on the other way. There is a degree of victimhood that that has now, it's taken on such status. It's taken on such prestige. It confers such privilege that you now have candidates for political office not making keen logical arguments for what they want to do and why their their set of policies is better than their opponent's set of policies. They're they're faking their own kidnappings to give themselves the illusion of that privilege. And they'll hope that that wins. There's There's a woman in Sumter, South Carolina, 29 years old, Sabrina Belcher, who ran as not the candidate who believes this or that, not the candidate who's going to push for this or that policy. She fashioned herself, quote, the first black female candidate ever to run, which is something I don't care about. I don't, I don't care if she's the first female black candidate. I care about what she's going to do, right? I mean, I don't live in, in Sumter, South Carolina, but if I were a citizen there, or if I were 
voting for a candidate in my own jurisdiction. I, I would care about what they are going to do, what they believe, what, what, what they represent in, is a matter of policy and politics. But that doesn't matter anymore. Now people are only running on identity and through identity, victimhood. So this woman was apparently assaulted and kidnapped by 34-year-old Christopher Eady. Take a listen to the video that for some reason, conspicuously and coincidentally, all of this was caught on video. Looks like it's. Stop this motherfucker! Like right fine. here, right now! Stop it! Hmm? Tell you about what my motherfucking people. Oh, he starts hitting her. Hmm? Wow. Oh gosh, this is getting even worse. This is some. She's so afraid. With Hollywood shut down, obviously someone's got to create content for the, for the public. And I guess now it's mayoral candidates in Sumter, South Carolina, because every single second of that was completely faked. This woman planned it all out with uh, Mr. Edie beforehand. This is not the first time we've seen this. This is just the latest in a line of, of actors, some professional, like Jesse Smollett walking through MAGA country in Chicago, and some amateur like, uh, like Ms., what's her name? Belcher, like Ms. Belcher, who are putting on these kinds of performances because they see that the fastest way to political cachet, the fastest way to political change, is not by making honest arguments. It's by putting on dishonest performances. It's by tricking the public. It's through smoke and mirrors. Now, why is this? One, people are emotional. And if you play on people's emotions and appetites and hysteria, you're likely to get a reaction. But in the long run, what does that lead to? It leads to the collapse of your physical country that we can see all around us. And it leads to the collapse of your politics. Bill de Blasio was just asked in New York, when the city is going to open back up, what the plan is, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. Do you remember that? It was about 160 days ago at this point. And, and now it's, I don't know, when, when are we going to reopen? Maybe sometime in 2024 or something. I don't know. So de Blasio's asked, when are you going to open up indoor dining? At least, what is the plan? You know what his plan is? He has no plan. There is not a context for indoor dining. We're never saying it's impossible. Uh, but we do not, based on what we've seen around the world, do not have a plan for reopening indoor dining in the near term. Of course they don't have a plan. They don't need a plan. They don't need to tell the American people what they're going to do because they have the right to rule. Because it's not even about Democrat or Republican or left or right. I mean, they, they do happen to be mostly Democrats. They do happen to be left wing. But they feel ultimately that they are the ruling class. And they are. They are the ruling class. And they will make whatever decision they want and they'll tell you whatever they, they think you need to hear to make it go down a little easier. But ultimately, they're going to do whatever they want to do. That is not democratic government. You know, blue check Twitter went crazy yesterday. Because 
uh, President Trump announced the Republican Party, it's not going to have a, a real platform this year. You know, the parties go to the conventions, they write these platforms, but it doesn't really matter because at least for the last, you know, 100 or so years, the president and the presidential nominee is the platform. He is the leader of the party. This was also envisioned by Woodrow Wilson, that the president would become the leader of the party. So Trump says, okay, I'm not going to waste, we're not going to waste time on this platform. I'm just going to give you my second term agenda. And we can get into the second term agenda a little bit later in the week. There's just one part that made the commentariat, the Twitterati go crazy. And it was that he said, as part of his education plan, he's going to teach American exceptionalism. Very simple. This, this, was, this would have been not only non-controversial, this would have been ex understood, expected, until very recently. And the left went nuts. And a lot of teachers on Twitter said, I'm a teacher. I'm not teaching American exceptionalism. America's terrible. America's an awful place. What is American exceptionalism? Some people interpret this to mean that America's the single greatest perfect nation ever and it doesn't do anything wrong. That's not what American exceptionalism means. It means because of America's unique history and founding, it's different than other countries, which is obviously true. America is a country that was founded in a new world with very distinct highly conscious political principles in a, in a period of time when people were focusing in on the mechanisms of government in a, in a more abstracted way than, than many people had in the past. That is by definition true. What is an aspect of American exceptionalism? This focus on a, a particularly 18th century conception of liberty that does in fact draw on the ancients. This conception of liberty and self-government and how we rule our own country. That is, that is American exceptionalism. And, and it should come as no surprise that the left laughs at it and mocks it. It's, it's not just that the, the left, you know, sort of hates the country and they're burning the American flag. They, they don't believe in this. And they have been saying, at least since Woodrow Wilson, that they want to get rid of that. They openly mock it. They say, I mean, if you read the writings of Wilson, he'll say, look, the American Constitution was founded on the principles of Isaac Newton. You know, these kind of eternal laws that balance power against each other. But that's all BS. We've had a new scientific achievement. We've got Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin is, shows us that nothing is objective. Everything is on a continuum. Everything is progressing and evolving. So we just need power, like an organism, to do whatever we want. Those are opposing views of America. That's it's, it's why it's important to overturn and rewrite the history of America and pull down the statues of America and tear down what we would call the traditional American nation to enact that kind of politics. And most importantly, they've got to blot out democracy, Republican government, self-rule. Because that presumes that people have enduring rights that aren't just going to go away as the organism evolves. That's what the left is trying to impose on us. Democracy is on the ballot. Damn right, I guess it is. And when they tell you there's only one legitimate choice you can make, then you know they've taken it and put it on the ballot, perhaps. But they're not going to read your ballots because they're going to put it first on the guillotine. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. 
Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listen.